Thanks for tuning into this episode of Thank You Now What, a podcast about life after service. I'm your host, Matt DeVivo. This show is produced by Ben Murray. Today's guest is going to be a little bit different, not just because he's Canadian, because we've had one of those on before. On today's episode, I caught up with a buddy of mine, Shane Knighty. Shane is a retired professional hockey player. He played in the NHL from 2000 to 2011, concluding his career as a member of the Stanley Cup champion Boston Bruins. After finishing his time as a player, Shane got into broadcasting when the Winnipeg Jets reestablished themselves back in his home province of Manitoba. He began on the radio and eventually moved to TV. When the NHL expanded to Las Vegas, the Vegas Golden Knights hired Shane as a TV color commentator for their inaugural 2017-18 season, pairing him up with former Bruins play-by-play announcer Dave Gosher. Since we've talked before on this show about the similarities between military and athlete mindsets, and since Shane and I have discussed our own career transitions with each other, we wanted to spend some time discussing what it meant to hang up our respective uniforms at the end of a career. We caught up this summer in Las Vegas. I love doing radio, and then one time we were, I was covering the Winnipeg Jets, uh, which is my home province. That's where I started, and a guy couldn't make the game for TV, so they threw me between the glass, and for whatever reason, it was a home run for me, and not only that, I remember when it was the first time since I'd been out of the game, I went home and I said, now I know what I want to do. Broadcast games on TV, and haven't looked back since. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Thanks for listening. It's pretty fancy. Everything good, though? How's the year been going? Work? and Yeah, like, you just get on fucking Zoom. It's like... You know, I could be on six hours worth yeah. of Zoom in a day. Well, I've been doing that title business now. I started, uh, I told you the commercial real estate title, which has been good. It's been crazy out here. Yeah. I think I just got my first big deal. So hopefully we get that closed. So it's been fun. Staying busy. Nice. Tough here with the kids, but yeah, we're all back. It's like uh, school from home and stuff. Yeah. And just my son kind of too much like me. Got into <laughs> some shit. And, okay. Uh, just sneaking out. I go to bed. I'm out. It's not an easy person to sneak out on. Yeah. Is he driving? No, he's only, he's only 15 now. He's oh, got a year. Okay. He's got a year. Yeah. But yeah, he's doing boy stuff. So, anyways, it's back on track where hockey started. So he's a good little hockey player. So hopefully that gets him a little more focused. Yeah. Nice. And we'll see. But yeah, challenging for parents. So our show is about like uh, we call it, you know, a podcast about life after service. Yeah. So the like mainly what we do is we talk to uh, vets uh, about like what they're doing after yeah. leaving the military because uh, you know not everybody just does like private security or like teaches yeah. shooting or whatever you know. And I want to you know kind of paint like a picture of how intellectually diverse and professionally motivated everybody actually is and. Yeah. Also, there's like this cool human interest aspect to it where, you know, you get to look at somebody's story through the lens of like a big transition and it's come up several times, like this connection to pro sports, which is why I wanted to chat with you. And we use the same, like I, and you know, I would never, ever say we're the same as military, but certainly a lot of connections like. You know, even going to battle, you know, stinking together, how important that is to find success, knowing roles on a team. Yeah. Everybody, you know, performing to their roles provides, you know, team success over individual. It's there. There's so many correlations. I, mean, I guess we can talk about this on there. But. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, but I would. One, it's not the same, but in the, you know, but there are similarities. 
And one personal thing that's, uh, I think, you know, would really be alike would be identity. Yeah. Like you identify as a soldier, yeah. Marine, whatever. It's like, I'm sure with you guys, like my, especially, you know, yeah. hockey players start well, it so is. young. Like, well, that guy who just passed away and bought Jimmy Hayes, like I met him once, but it hits you, you know, like, just like you guys, you guys obviously a lot more deal with that. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's a brother. He's a hockey player. Never yeah. played with him. Met him once briefly. Great guy. But it's like, it hits home more than, you know, you hear of an average person doing it. Yeah. Passing along. Okay. 31 years old. Yeah. I, uh, I just saw it, you yeah. know, online, but I didn't know about any details. I just met him. We, I had him out here for the Colorado playoff series. They do a podcast called Missing Curfew. It's kind of like the Spit and Chicklets one, but it's the West Coast. Yeah. I said, you guys got to come to Vegas. Come on up here. We'll set you up in the concourse and whatever they did. And yeah. Well, Crazy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I listen to Chicklets uh, yeah. sometimes. It's cool. It's like, uh, the, what is it, the number one podcast in Canada? Not just hockey podcast, yeah, but like... So, yeah, oh. it's massive in Canada. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge. Have you been on with those guys or...? I have not been on with them. Because I know that it's like uh, different teams have different rules about... Uh, it would be tricky for me. Like, I know some of our players, Ryan Reeves has been on it. It's hard for me to do it because, you know, certain... Or you're right, different organizations, you know... You know depend what light they want you to go to or yeah you know and it's like we have our own podcast we do here and with dave and uh, guys we work with but that's strictly just covering the nights yeah. i like the ability to talk about outside of it just like players so it's good we uh we had one guy on early on uh i don't know if you ever heard of this organization called merging vets and players but oh. one of our one of our guests uh, is a guy named Nate Boyer. Uh, he was in a Q course around the same time I was yeah. and uh, got out, went and played football at Texas. And then he got drafted by the Seahawks, you know, and then eventually has to hang up another uniform, but then started this organization where he like brings a lot of pro athletes and vets together to like do workouts and, oh, that's and cool. you know, talk about like this type of stuff that we talk yeah. about. Well, I'm, I'm always been fascinated by what you guys do. Like I've, you know, I've always like, whether it's seals or whatever, the movies, the, not the movies so much as the other ones, like the yeah. real stuff, like yeah. the training and, you know, the seal fit and the type, I've always found that fascinating because we push our bodies to what we think we do, but we don't, not to that extent. Yeah. But I think it's a little different though. Cause like, I think there's a difference between like optimizing performance versus just being hard. Yeah. You know, I well, there is, there, there, and it's about going into that performance. I remember you said it when it's go time, you just, you got to turn it off and you just like a game. People say like, you know, it's not like standing, you know, with bullets flying, but they're like, how do you guys like, you know, go down and block a shot coming a hundred miles an hour at you. So you don't think about it. It's just, you, there's, there's no thinking it's reaction. It's, yeah. it's you know, it's instinct. It's instinctual. You just, you're prepared to go down or, you know, do whatever it takes. I took two pucks to the eye. I didn't, I lo almost lost it the first time. And it's not like it, I stopped me from doing it again, obviously, because I got hit again doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah. You didn't put the visor on after that? I did. And I took it off because okay. I was like, I got tired of guys saying, oh, you fucking, you got, you won't fight now. You got a visor on. And, you know, it was different times then, yeah. you know, now it's grandfathered in. So I'm like, I remember telling my wife, you mind? She's actually cool. She's like, I do what you got to do. I'm like, it makes me a better player. 
Yeah. What's the visor rule now? It's like after a certain yeah. year you had to wear yeah. one. So it's like guys that probably. This is probably like 20, 05, 30 guys. 05, I think. Left. Yeah. Yeah. Who don't have to wear one. Yeah. Because yeah. Well, I want to talk about Z too, but. Yeah. But uh, was it two years ago? He took that deflection yeah. off the jaw, comes back with a like a cage, but with the face shield yeah. cut out. I got tons of stories about guys that do The guy for Vegas this year had a broken foot. And he wheeled around like he couldn't walk for playoffs. He just he had to get wheeled around or he had a little scooter in between games and then games put it in. Guys, you know, the one year I can talk about my knee, I couldn't when I was in Boston. First yeah. year in playoffs, so I was 08. I couldn't go upstairs to to the bedroom. I, my wife had to bring I had mattress. I slept downstairs, like on the main floor. And every game I'd get my knee drained from the fluid, get the tortle or whatever and yeah. freeze it. And away I went. And then I got surgery as soon as we were out. The whole upper lower body thing. Yeah. So, and uh, probably a lot of our listeners aren't huge hockey nuts, nope. but like the way you report an injury in hockey, yeah. the team just says it's either an upper yeah. or lower body injury. Cause because you know, it's a target. You, it is. Yeah. I, it's, I'm not going to lie. If I knew somebody had if their shoulder was out, I'm taking as many runs at them as I can. Yeah. Yeah. Where you're going to use that knowledge. Like, and it does frustrate people. And it's becoming interesting now in the world of Rand because it's, it's a betting world now, right? It, it's oh, yeah. huge for betting, just like they're not naming the starting goaltenders. Can you imagine in football if they didn't announce the starting quarterback? Yeah. You know, what that would do to the betting world to, well, we're in Vegas. Like, well, especially you guys, because I mean, up until Flurry yeah. got uh, dealt, yeah. they never did. So it's uh, it's it's changing, but yeah. yeah, I'll talk about whatever you want, my man. Okay, you're from Nipawa, which most people have never heard of. Yeah, yeah. What's it like out there? It's near Winnipeg, right? So Nipawa. So I grew up in a town, and it's interesting. I know probably a lot of the listeners aren't familiar with uh, Canada. I, my best description is it's a farming community. So Manitoba, Saskatchewan, are straight above kind of. You know, North Dakota area, yeah. uh, straight north of there across the line. And, you know, I grew up in a town of 3,500 people. It's a farming community. Hockey was it. Got on the ice. And basically, that's what you did. I, I, my best comparison is if anybody's ever watched the movie Dazed and Confused, you just switch hockey with football. And that's mm. kind of the town I grew up with. Okay. You know, it was a tough town. We grew up cruising the streets when you could look for a bush party out in the out in someone's farmland, you hang out there and you played hockey and went to school. And, you know, you knew everybody in town. It was a great place, but, uh, you know, I moved away at 50, uh, so it's grade 11 in Canada, junior here uh, to pursue hockey. I moved to Saskatchewan. It wasn't a big jump, but it, uh, for me it was. I went from a town of three to 500 to a place that had a school of 1,500, mm. which was, it was good for me. I was like, oh, there's 1,500 people in school. That's a lot more girls. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just a typical 16-year-old mind, but uh, it was tough moving away from home. Are you still, like, uh, doing school while playing? Like, do you you just do high school on the road, or what, you enroll in the city that you're playing in? Yeah, so you go, you play in the school you, you go to. There's usually in those towns, you're, you're in high school, because uh, the age to play, it's the, the Canadian Hockey League. I was in the Western Hockey League, so it's 16 to 20-year-olds. 16 is kind of an underage, 20-year-olds overage and in, in between. So guys have to go to school. Marks are recorded. You have to keep up. They, you know, graduation's expected. And, and there's opportunity to take classes after if you want. I didn't. I worked. I, I thought it'd be better to get a, a new car. 
and at least that. So I worked, uh, I did, I did, I worked in a print shop. I worked in a grocery store. Um, and then I, it's I'm rare, but I played five years in that league. I played an underage and over. So I played from right 16 to 20. And, uh, you know, it's great lessons. You spend a lot of hours on the bus. I think, you know, the one thing that I love about th that was you really learned how to become a teammate because you had so many hours on the bus together. Like these, these were your brothers. These were your guys. Like, you know, you, you went and played the games, you, you worked hard, you battled together. But the amount of time, like we'd, we'd go. So imagine going from North Dakota all the way, which, you know, from Manitoba all the way to BC, which is, you know, right above Seattle, Washington. Yeah. Like that's the distance you traveled. Even there was a team in Seattle. There was a team in Portland, Oregon. Um, There's a few, yes, Tri-Cities, Americans. So we'd travel there, you know, we'd do 18 hour bus trips and, you know, through the Rocky Mountains and a lot of cards, a lot of, a lot of camaraderie where you, you build up that team. And I think, you know, that's where you learn a lot and schedule playing three games in three nights, tired, fatigued. You got to, you find a way it's, it's, you know, I love college hockey, NCAA, uh, you know, and division one hockey is great, but it's a shortened schedule. I've always said, you know, the Canadian hockey league and, theirs is more pro-based the way you've got to prepare yourself so you learn that at a young age how many games like a typical college season versus oh you're gonna ask me college i think college is around 40 i want to say okay 30 to know. 40 i'm not i'm not but uh the the canadian it's 72. oh yeah so it's a, it's like 10 10 yeah, less and than the the nhl nhl's 82 so yeah just 10 less it's uh very comparable and uh, you know, you, you learn at that age, I, the thing I liked about it is you learned, it was, it was very similar to pro. When I look back now, like you got injuries, you played through, unless it was something you can, are you hurt or are you injured? If you're hurt, you can play. Yeah. If you're injured. Okay. And that was kind of the mentality. And you know, I was never expected. I got drafted like everybody does by the Buffalo Sabres was back in 94. So you get drafted. You have two years to sign with that team. Nothing happened. So I didn't take the typical path. You get drafted, you play in that organization, build yourself up, or you make it right away. I, nothing happened. Buffalo, they let me go. I was 20. I went. I remember I went to Chicago Blackhawks camp. Nothing happened there. Uh, I was going to quit and go to uh, play university hockey in Canada. And then I got a call to go to the East Coast Hockey League. And uh, a guy who does what I do now, I'm an analyst for TV, the Golden Knights, Pierre Maguire, a longtime analyst, was the coach down there. Yeah, and he told me to come, and I went down there. I spent two months in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It's the first time they ever had hockey down there, and it was interesting to you know take a sport that's you know unknown down there and kind of they always said it combined two of their favorite sports, you know NASCAR and, and football. Yeah, and they, they loved the speed and they loved the physicality. So it was fun. I was only there two and a half months, but it, just like anything, regained confidence. Then I went and, and back up to the American Hockey League uh, under the Calgary Flames farm system played there. Then I went to the IHL. Then I finally got my first NHL deal with the Detroit Red Wings. But I spent two years in the minor leagues there in Cincinnati and Adirondack. So it's a lot of move. And I think the one thing people will recognize is, you know, in hockey is there, it's just unlike, it's like anything else in the world. And I think what it teaches you is, you know, there's constant obstacles to overcome. It doesn't happen to everyone, but I would say the majority, like there's a smaller percentage of guys that just go up make the bigs and stick. Right. Um, you know, and a lot of guys more talented than me never make it. You've got to be able to, the, the mental toughness is, you know, and especially back then, you know, coaches weren't coddling you. 
this was a different type of coach than you'd see today in the NHL. And you, you were challenged. You were challenged physically and mentally, and uh, you have to find a way to overcome it. And eventually I find my way to, to the Ottawa Senators, uh, and I remember going to camp there, and, you know, I, I figured that was my chance. And, uh, I, you know, they didn't have a, a physical defenseman that was willing to do whatever it took. And I remember the first, first camp I chased around the best player on the ice, a guy named Alexi Ashton. Yeah. who had sat the year out before because of contract dispute. But back in 2000, guys didn't do that. And the rest of the guys said, how can you, you know, in the league? Because, you know, you're close. They're like, oh, that's not right. So I remember the first scrimmage. I, I don't even know if I knew there was a puck on the ice. I remember talking to my agent. He said, just, just get your name, get known. I just chased him around, whacked, hacked, tried to fight. And he wasn't going to fight. But yeah, and uh, yeah, kind of uh, from there, uh, built myself an NHL career. I uh, saw this dude this year. What was his name Frederick on the Bruins? Young guy, yes, really yeah, young yeah. guy. He starts like hacking away at Ovechkin. He like drops his gloves and like grabs him by the shirt. Yeah. And, and Ovechkin <laughs> looks at him. He's like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. He's like, uh, okay, sorry. And, and, try, like, and, and sometimes that's what it takes. Like you're trying, you're trying to, you know, Put a little separation from the pack of guys. Make yourself known, right? You yeah. do, and uh, that's a that's a dangerous. I believe he had to probably answer that with Tom Wilson after. But uh, yeah, well, oh, Reeves just got traded to yes. uh, the Rangers because they had to fix their Tom Wilson problem. That'll, they do. That should be a that, that'll certainly help. That's going to be a interesting yeah. matchup. We'll make sure to yeah. catch that one. That'll be good. How many guys have to learn? to be like a role player because not everybody is uh crosby and mcdavid how many guys have to learn like this is how you are going to make it that's such a really good question because you know that that really speaks to the individual and to me it speaks to their character because you could have been you know say a great goal scorer in junior hockey or college hockey and you know, you could get away with cheating the game in certain areas to find goals, but you get to the NHL, that cheat doesn't work as much. Yeah. You've got you've to find the grind. And I think it's so important for a, if you see a successful team, that's a team that has guys, individuals that understand the rules. Sometimes it takes a little longer. And, you know, quick story for me is I remember being a healthy scratch early in my career and pouting about it, right? Like, oh, well, you know, who cares what happens? I'm not in the lineup. And sometimes, you know, that awakening as I grew as a player and eventually I thought my career was over um, in 2010 when I went to Arizona's camp, tore my shoulder, my rotator cuff, thought I was done for the year. And that's when the Boston Bruins came calling in January and said, you know, you've always been a vocal guy in the room. Yeah, your, your characteristics, what you can bring. And it, I'm not saying it took till then, but at that point I knew I wasn't going to play, but I knew I had an important role on that team mm. because they were going to make a cup run. I was going to play when they needed me, but they needed me in the room and, and they needed, you know, me to be one of those veteran leaders that could hold other guys accountable. And, you know, we won the cup that year. And I think about it, you know, had that been younger in my career, I would have felt I had no piece of it. But understanding I did and other guys knowing I did. And uh, that was a team that, you know, every line, every guy understood if they did it, their five minutes of ice time or their 15 minutes of ice time or their 20 or their 10. Whatever they played, they played it to their role. That was for the ultimate success of the team. And it's certainly, you know, something I learned in my last year 
that it is so true because that that's what it takes and it's not going out there if you're a guy that's expected to be an energy guy that's to go out there and hound the puck not make mistakes you're not trying to do you know the fancy things if you do that could put your team in trouble and those guys were just as important as the top players, the Bergerons, or the, at that time, Mark Recchi, Brad Marchand, like the guys that were going to score the goals. The, the Thorntons, the Campbells, the Pies, the Chris Kellys, just I know naming a lot of the Bruins from that team were just, you know, as important at what they did as other guys. If you're like a healthy scratch or you're one of the guys who's kind of like in and out of the yeah. lower lines or, you know, wherever you are in your career, is it important for you to like just be positive about the guys who are playing? One hundred percent. Because and and also, if people do pay attention to hockey, like the Knights have for the past few seasons been using two goalies. Yeah, goalie is like you have to be an alpha type yeah. personality, but you know you've seen these two guys for a few years like have to stay positive about each other. But you you have to want to be in there every night. You do, and it's a fine line, right? That so. You want to have that internal competition because I think it it, it, it drives you both as, you know, performer, whatever it is, an athlete. Um, you know, you're in a com- competitive sport. You want to have that that drives you. But at the same time, if it's not you in, you've got you can't bring the rest of the group down. Yeah. You've got you've got to be that positive guy and. Uh, you know, I know a guy with the Golden Knights that barely played this past year. Nick Holden was probably a perfect example. He was maybe the most popular teammate by everybody. And it's because of the attitude he brought, the energy, uh, the charisma, whatever you want to call it, that he brought to the rink each and every day is just as important as him going out there and playing. Like he kept, you know, the guys loose, if you know, bring them down. He, that's what you need to bring. And I think, you know, that's what successful teams have. Yeah. You can't, you can't have a, you know, a chink in the chain that's going to bring you down. Yeah. Other than, uh, you know, other than everybody knowing their role, what do you think is like the top thing that just makes a championship team that like sets it apart from one that almost gets there? Because like this, what I see is just a casual yeah. kind of hockey yeah. fan. Uh, well, the behind you look at the like, yeah. Canadian division this yeah. year, in the playoffs, it got turned upside yeah. down. Because you thought like you thought the Oilers were going to hang seven goals on everybody, you thought it was like hands down Leafs Oilers, yeah. and then everything was upside down. It was yeah. it was three upsets. It's, a, to get it's out different, of that right? So you it's an it's eighty two different eighty two game grind, and everybody you get to playoffs, and it is a different animal. I don't care where you finish, first eighth, whatever. We've seen eighth seeds. You know, the LA Kings did it their first run in twenty twelve. Yeah. Well, there was no eight seed, yeah. but like the Canadians yeah. are basically yeah. an eight seed this yeah. year, but. No, they were worse than that. I think they would have. They wouldn't have made playoffs if you did the top sixteen. Yeah. So, when you get to playoffs, and what makes a successful team? I, I think you know, the, you've got you know tw- a roster, of, you know, twenty to twenty-four guys. I think it's so important not to have that click in there. You've got to have the ability. And this is me probably referencing the only team I won with the Bruins. You could go with anybody. You were close, like a close-knit group of guys that not only enjoyed playing together, loved being together. Because uh, you are, you're together all the time. And that is one thing. And then you have to have a confidence. There, there's gotta be a bit of a swag to that team. Hmm. Um, and and a, an ability that, uh, a confidence to this, with the same thing is, you know, uh, being able to recognize 
when things aren't going well and not to have panic. You've got to have that confidence that there with, okay, things didn't go right, but let's not let this roll into something else because momentum's huge in hockey. So confidence is key. And then the, there has to be, you know, a huge accountability factor of guys and, 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 you know, the willingness to, it's a game of mistakes, hockey, and, but you can't make it personal. I always say that when I call games and I think it's even true as when I was a teammate, I'm going to, if you, if you, if you fucked up, you made a mistake. I'm going to tell you, I'll make one too, but you've got to recognize that. Or if, if I'm not up to speed, I expect somebody else to come over and tell me we need more of you. We need you. And, and I can do the same to someone else. So accountability, I think accountability is a big factor within the room. Yeah. That was something that I had to learn about just like leadership in general yes. is that you, if, as a young guy, or you think that you can only, uh, tell other people's what you think or, or be able to lead them if you are like the top performer. But there's this, you know, you have to have the humility to be like, look, I'm going to tell you what you're doing wrong. And you're also going to see me like you yeah. just said, you're going to see me make mistakes too. Yeah. You're going to see me like uh, if I'm on the shooting range, yeah. like I'm not going to, I'm not going to score a hundred on every shooting drill, but I'm also not going to be shy about telling you like what I see yeah. where you could improve. And getting on that shooting range, right? Putting in that extra work, you know, I think that's so important for leaderships too, because it's easier, it's easier to sell what you're preaching if you're the one out there doing it, you know, whether it's extra, you know, on the ice, last guy off. Uh, yeah. You know, I know a guy that you love and I love is Adeno Chara. Like you talk about leader by example, there's nobody that was going to, he could say whatever he wanted. You, there's nothing you could say back because he was going to outwork you. He'd make mistakes and you could say this and that, but yeah. what he did on and off the ice, Patrice Bergeron too would be the, you know similar. Any great leader, you could, you know, Sidney Crosby, those type of guys are are there because they're the hardest workers. And it's remarkable, as skilled as they are, like Sidney Crosby, you know, you'd think he can't go to a fourth liner and say, we need more work because the fourth liner is going to say, well, I don't have your skill. But at the same time, they're going to see him outworking them in practice and, and never, you know, backing down in other ways. So it's like, okay. Yeah. It, it makes it a little more, you know, it, it's a little more pointed and, and certainly carries its value when you have a leader that does that. Yeah. Are guys at that level just never satisfied with their own yeah. performance? Well, I think Crosby is a great example. I heard a story about him about, you know, I think he led the league in points, but he was unhappy because his goals weren't there. So he spent like all summer and everything on shooting and his face-offs weren't good. So he worked on details to the game, other areas. It's always easier to work on what you're good at. Yeah. And I think the great players understand and recognize and work more on what they're not. Yeah. Like for me, you know, I hated to do quick feet drills because I wasn't good at it, but you know, and probably how <laughs> I should have did it more. Um, but these type of guys to become great and do that, they, they just put in a tireless work ethic into that. Yeah, that's a huge point too. Is because uh, I, you know, I've had a team sergeant who's like a big time power lifter. Yeah. What did we do when we went to the gym? We did a bunch of power lifting, and then if I wanted to get a run in, like, okay, well, you know, no one's gonna care if I go get a run in, except like when I need to be in shape on the battlefield. Yeah. But like I, you know, went and did that. But then I've also had leaders who like they do their own thing that they're good at. They enjoy it, whatever. Yeah. You know, guy might, similar type personality type guy might do CrossFit, but he might say like, well, you know, here's where I see the team needs to put in a lot of extra work and actually have that wherewithal to, uh, you know, bring up the skills that you do need. 
Yeah, and it is. It's it's recognizing, and I think that's it's tough for anybody, right? It's you know, I'm sure, and you're you know, guys that are you know better with the pistol than the other, but you've got to. There, there's something you're always good at that that's what you want to work on because it's it's easier. Yeah. It's finding that one that you need more work that uh, is, is probably where the time should be spent a little bit more just to, you know, become well-rounded. Yeah. I want to talk about, you, you gave me like the whirlwind, you know, your kind of career in a yeah. nutshell. You got drafted in 94, never played for the team that drafted yeah. you. I think your first uh, NHL game was in 2000. Yeah. What was it like? stay in the course for that long were there points where you're like when the hell am i going to get there yeah oh there's points yeah well so after i was drafted and i mentioned i went to the chicago's camp i was 20 before i went to these coast i was quit i was going to university of hockey i went to baton rouge i went to the calgary flames farm team i had a coach there that the old schools they could came like shattered my confidence i was willing to quit hockey again after that season hmm but I found another way into, I played in the, the old IHL at that time, Grand Rapids, got all, got my confidence back. Uh, that was a fun year. I remember I was 22, you know, you're young. I, I think I had 20 some fights that year. I fought all these big men because it was an older league, uh, but it, it was great. And then, um, you know, finally, I think Detroit, and he mentioned that, it, it, you know, I think back to that game and I always say it's about, you never know when opportunity is going to come. And it came to me through a real freak thing twice. So my first game, I'll never forget. My first game was in Boston, playing for the Ottawa Senators. This is the game, first game of the season. I was not, I was the seventh D man. And in the morning, a guy, another defenseman got sick. I got to call at five in the morning. Said, uh, yeah, uh, Sammy Sal was the other D man. Uh, he's sick, so you're going to be in tonight. I'm like, so, you know, I had to call your parent. And they couldn't have time to get there, so... You know, they're back in Manitoba, friends, family, everybody, my, my wife, they're, you know, scrambling to watch this game. And I think, you know, that's the most important thing for me is coming for I did. Nobody really made it from Nipawa, Manitoba. So it was, a, it was a big thing for those people that followed me and, and were there right from my path at the beginning. And uh, my, first, my first shift, I, you know, the game's kind of a whirlwind, but I remember my first shift. I think Seemed there was, like pen, there was penalties and long. stuff, so I didn't play for like a like the first 10 and then when I got out, it was, it was literally Bambi on ice. <laughs> I, and my second shift, I got asked to fight by uh, six, four, uh, was it Kenny Belanger was the tough guy in Boston at that time. So it was like my second, first shift, I was so nervous. I went out there, it was wobbly, whatever. I don't even think the puck, I was just praying it didn't come near me. Went away, changed, next shift, this guy wants to fight. I'm like, well, just let me get through this game. And you know, from there, instincts took over and just became a game. I think we played Boston two games later and I had my first NHL fight against Kenny Bellagio because I couldn't say no twice. Yeah. Like, um, but yeah, just to me, I, I think all the people who were there on that path, right? You know, your parents, everybody, parents, my brother, my wife, it was just, uh, you know, my daughter at that time, I just had one. Uh, so, it, and friends, that my, my buddies back home. For them, it was like they were in the game. Yeah. The guys I played, you know, minor hockey with and, and everything, it was like they were there. Yeah takes a village it does so you're playing for everybody it really does and it was uh yeah and then that led and i said you know opportunity so i had that opportunity and, and it was also i was actually kind of the eighth guy there was a swedish defenseman who broke his ankle so he was kind of out of it this guy got sick so i worked my way in the lineup for a while and then the swedish guy came back i think it was right around halloween 
So about a month into the season. So they sent me down to the farm team. For I went down, played one game, and then I got a call. The, the Swedish guy broke his ankle, came back, played two shifts, broke his same ankle three inches higher. Jesus. So he's my favorite defenseman ever, Ricard Pearson. Uh, his two injuries led to me, and that's they say, you never know when opportunity is going to come, but it's what you do with it. Yeah. You know, you've got to make it. A lot of guys get it. It's what you do with it. And I, fortunate enough, I made the most of it. And uh, yeah, that, that's uh, that, that kind of, I never went back down again to the minors after that. Yeah. I had some uh, deployments where things are going pretty slow. Yeah. It's like, you got to be ready for the day that it actually happens because it, it can get boring. It can, you know, go out on a bunch of, you know, bullshit yeah. that's you're kind of just like policing or you haven't had any action in a while keeping that edge and having the ability to have the switch to turn it on and answer the opportunity when it when it comes uh you know is important it's like it takes a lot of mental endurance i think oh i yeah i i and we talked we were talking earlier you know this is similar i'd never compare ourselves to what you guys do but it, there is, there are some things but there that is, connect. Like if there, there are a, some things yeah. that connect, certainly. It's, it, you know, the, the 82 games is a grind. You're not going to feel like playing every day. That's, and, and that's where, you know, and physically, certainly you're not. Mentally is, is where you need to have it. It's, I think that's in any sport, any, the mental focus, the mental toughness is, is so important because that can carry you further right that that's what carries your body that's what can take you over the edge that can be the difference you know for us in winning a game guys that can you know can tie in because there's times you don't feel like playing the game and you've got to do it or there's times you've got some six five meathead that you know took a run at your guy you don't you know you're not going to win the fight but you got to do something yeah you, you've got to answer back and uh, that that's uh, that's that's willing your mind to say okay, let's let's go. There is a definite parallel in it being an honor culture, you know. Well, it, yeah, like hockey is pretty self policing. Um, Not as much as it was, but yes. Well, yeah, we could talk about that too. But like, you said you got asked to fight, which may not like some people listening may not understand. Yeah. They might just think, you know, like hockey players fight, you know, but you talk about being because I've heard I've heard guys say like, yeah, man, I just skated up and said I need one or <laughs> like getting getting asked to fight or or like being friendly with a guy that you have fought, yeah. getting traded to a team. It's got a guy that you fought before and it, it all gets left on the ice it really does yeah. and, you know and, and and i you know there are occasions where guys absolutely hate one another but that is very rare um because you do move around the league i've played with guys i've fought i've a uh, great example and, and the league has changed a lot the sports changed and i think you know it's it's, it's evolved just like the times have yeah uh, you know hockey's a, a faster more skilled sport now you don't there's certainly nobody just asking to fight. There's got to be a reason for it, and it's rare if it happens. Will they ever take fighting out of the game? I'll answer this one quick. They may try, but I don't think you can. Anybody who's a listener who plays rec hockey, I guarantee you, you can't take fighting out of that even. There, there's fights. That hockey is a, is a, is a passion-filled sport yeah. that, you know, it's reactionary. It's yeah. a read-and-react sport, and, and it, it's going to happen. But 
it's different and you know guys would just there was a guy i fought i remember so we go back to mention talk about that this guy named l engelstad and they called him the mangler he's from thunder bay ontario a big northern canadian guy and i remember my coach said don't do it and of course i'm 22 i'm like all right well, i'm gonna do it and i did good for about the first five seconds i was able to throw and then all of a sudden he switched hands and my face blew up and uh you know i went down but i remember he was an older guy and we went for beers after the game. And he, I remember him in the bar and he showed me what I did wrong. And <laughs> I'm like, all right. It's like, because we kind of ran into him. He's like, come on over. And, and, and that's the ability to turn that switch off, right? You're, you're on in the game, on the ice. Brothers have fought. Friend, close friends have fought. I know guys that have played together were tight. Different teams, if that was their role, that was their role. You won't see it as much now, but that was, it's, it, it happened. But yeah, it, it is a huge brotherhood. The whole... You know, certainly it is with your teammates, but it is as a league or, or even as a sport. Yeah. I heard an episode of the show you do with uh, Gary and Dave where yeah. Gary's going through uh, you being nicknamed the sheriff. Yeah. What is that uh, recap? So the recap, so I mentioned Alexi Ashton, the guy I chased around in camp. that yeah. He sat out the year. So we were playing the Florida Panthers. And as I mentioned, around the league, nobody took a year away because of contract. You're expected to just play, right? Take what you, you know, it wasn't like he was turning down peanuts. Anyways, it happens now all the time. It's, you know, the business has become a lot bigger. Yeah. Um, and we are playing the Florida Panthers. I mean, yeah, Peter Worrell and Todd Simpson, two big, massive men for the Panthers, went after him in the corner. And I just remember come flying in, did a little jump and ended up kind of in between both of them, throwing, fighting, taking, whatever. And just the next day in the paper, Wow, the, I think it was like it read Sh Sheriff Shane Knighty to the rescue. So you know, you got you guys are in groups. If you're with a group of guys and they read that, boom, yeah, uh, it just stuck. And yeah, I got the nickname the Sheriff, uh, and, and it's good because I've been called a lot worse. Uh, so I was okay <laughs> with it. But yeah, it stuck uh, in Ottawa. It, it stuck pretty much throughout my whole career. It really got resurrected when I went to Boston. Okay, so you would know Jack Edwards, uh, the play-by-play -play TV guy there, really took it and ran with it. So. Um, and it's, it's, it's off and on still to this day. I still have buddy out yeah, sheriff. Um, yeah. You talk about, uh, the importance of, you know, being a teammate guys in the locker room and, you know, Yashin's Russian yeah. and, uh, you know, you had a Finnish guy who yeah. broke his ankle so you could play. Yeah. And, uh, what's the international, what's it like going? Cause you know, probably coming up, you just played with all other Canadian boys and then uh, having like an international locker room, what is that feeling? And, and you know, you say camaraderie is, is really important, building cohesiveness, yeah. going deep. What's it like, like having people from just all over the world now? Well, it's good. And, you know, I think more than anything, now that I've traveled overseas as you have, and, you know, if you don't know the language, it's hard. So you got to, you know, from that perspective, you understand where they're coming from, especially when yeah. they're young. It's you get a young Russian or a young Czech player that doesn't speak the language. You know, communication, I think, is the biggest thing you have to have. So yeah. it's them learning it. You know, and I think back to my, you know, first experience in Ottawa, we had, we had uh, a lot of Czech, Czech Republic guys, some Slovaks, we had Russians, we had Finns, we had Swedes. The Swedes and Finns are a little easier because they grow up with English as a language. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, it's harder for like those. Landis Cog. Yeah. You, you don't you even, know. even know. He has an accent. Yeah. No. There's that's a, incredible. Yeah. There's a lot of Swedes like that. I would say they're the easiest. Finns next. Uh, you know, the Russians might be the hardest. 
And, and that's where I talked about, you know, they certainly, it was more clicky when I played in Ottawa. Those guys, you know, we always call them the, the Czech mafia. There was those guys uh, yeah. that stuck together and, but you have to find different ways to bring them, you know, everybody together. And, and, you know, that was something I understood as I went along in my career, how important that was is, you know, you know, everybody being included on events, not, not trying to put any separate, obviously when it came to the ice, you always have a way to click certain yeah. guys had chemistry more than others. Um, but it is a tricky thing uh, for when they come over. And I think, you know, more acclimated they get the longer they've been over here, uh, you know, whether Canada or the US, those guys are, are a lot more comfortable. And I think it, it, it's an easier transition now for players than it was, you know, back. But I think, you know, everybody brings a personality. I think it, you, don't, you don't want everybody the same. Yeah. You want different personalities. You want guys that have different characteristics and uh, that's what makes a team. And then, you know, the challenge is to bring them together because that that is that important. Yeah. I mean, what, what kind of things you do to like, New guy comes up, which by the way, just as an aside, the Pasternak friggin' Barbie girl yeah. presser common yeah. all time. That's great. Great. See, and that's the personality you like. So he's a guy that comes over and you you love those guys that and, and you're seeing it now because hockey, you know, unlike maybe the other pro sports, guys are more guarded. I think now you're starting to see and and, and you know, we always said, you know, keep it in the room, keep it in the room, keep it in the room. You know, guys have huge personalities, big yeah. jokers, hilarious oh, yeah. guys. You have to, though. You you, it's you such do. an extreme life. Well, I'm glad I life. don't play in the social media world. Um, that was that came after me, thank goodness. Yeah. But I think, but you know, that's it's different. It's I mean, you can still have a personality yeah. and not be all over social media. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's good to see guys like Pasternak and, and those guys come out and do it and, and to be able to. So ways you do it, I think, is just, you know, the old school ways, certainly, you know, a good night out. Right. I think that's the best way to bring guys together or, or sort things out. But always being, in, you know, included in things and having the willingness to, to invite somebody out, you know, with your group, uh, you know, that's new and, and being welcoming is very important, getting them in. Uh, you know, and, and that that falls a lot on the leadership groups in the team. And I've always said, you know, the guys that wear the letters, the captains, assistants, it's that's that's not all. They're not the only leaders. Everybody can be a leader in their own way. Hey, everyone, quick break in the action to tell some of our new or even some of our returning listeners uh, about how to engage with more and support the show. Uh, first, we want to have a couple uh, charity shout outs. Uh, so you may hear me talk about the Coast to Coast Foundation from time to time uh, on the podcast. As you all may know, the Coast to Coast Foundation is committed to helping special operators seek treatment where traditional means end. You can find more about them at coastxcoast.org. Uh, helpful little nugget, Shane and I uh, originally met during the uh, Coast to Coast charity hockey game. So that's a fun thing to check out. Great organization to support. The other organization we've featured on the show before and mentioned during today's episode is Merging Vets and Players, which was uh, started by our former guest, Nate Boyer. Uh, Merging Vets and Players is empowering combat veterans and other former professional athletes by connecting them after the uniform comes off. You can check them out at vetsandplayers.org. Uh, we will link this in the show notes. Check out these two great organizations. If you want to find out more about the show, uh, you can head on over to our website. You could probably guess it. It's thankyounowwhat.com. 
We have our entire backlog of episodes and descriptions there, uh, along with links to our social channels. If you want to send us some feedback, you can use the form on the website or email thankyounowwhat at gmail.com. We love hearing uh, from our listeners and uh, we really love any feedback that you share with us. If you want to contribute to the cost of doing business with the show, please know uh, that whenever you do so, whatever doesn't go straight to production gets redirected to nonprofits that support or honor veterans. Um, you can find out more of what those nonprofits are by going to the website slash nonprofits. You'll see Coast to Coast, MVP, and a whole host of others. If you do want to share in the cost of doing business with us, you can find some links to our PayPal or our Patreon on our site. If you're into giving a one-time or recurring uh, contribution, find out more about those there. Uh, very sincere thank you to everybody who not only supports us in those ways, but anyone who's even sharing the show uh, by listening to one episode, telling other people you like it, uh, sharing by word of mouth, engaging with us on social media. We are humbled that you enjoy the show enough to listen and to tell your friends. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to our feed on your favorite podcast player, whether it's Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever else we're subscribed to. Um, go ahead and give us a rating if you don't mind, or if you have a little extra time, we love reading the reviews from everybody. Thanks. And let's get back to the episode. When do guys kind of moving into transitionary aspect of yes. your career, when do you start to think about when the end is coming as a, as a professional player? Uh, and that's, uh... I think guys now more are aware of it, which I think is important. And I think, you know, the Players Association, I think each individual team's alumni have done a more conscious effort of, you know, saying, because I think when you play the sport, you have a sense of, you know, of invincibility or immortality that you're just going to play forever. You never see an end in sight because that takes away, you're like, oh, I'm going to retire or this or that. I'm only going to play one or two. Guys don't, they, they play and then all of a sudden it's there which isn't the best way, but I think that gives you the best performance as an athlete to yeah. have that mindset. Yeah. Um, so, you know, was, I, I'm very fortunate. My transition, I've never left the game. I went, you know, so consider uh, since I've been five years old, I get a hockey schedule. I, I've been playing hockey every winter since I've been 15, 16. I've gotten a schedule from September till March or April that tells me where I've got to be, what I've got to do this and that you get to the nhl it's the same or pro it's the same I, I think the tough thing is guys have agents they have financial guys so uh you know and the reason i bring this up is i'm trying with derek england the former golden knight to start a biggest golden knights alumni because i want to help guys make the transition it's not always easy for everyone yeah and you know i mentioned the financial agents a lot of guys come out and they don't know how to pay bills or do this or taxes and you know what happens because it's not always there for them right it, it's simple things because you have lived a, a, a privileged life. You play a sport. You're very fortunate to play a sport you love for a living. Yeah. And you come out of it, there's things to learn. The real world's different. And I think guys are transitioning better now. Um, I don't, you know, there's certainly the guys that make a lot of money. I don't care how much money you made. You can't just at 35 years old say, well, I'm just going to hang out and golf the rest of my life. That's going to get old really quick. Yeah. So um for me i'm very fortunate i went into broadcasting nothing changed i travel with the team my i still got that same schedule i've been getting since i was 16 years old to follow yeah. up until uh covid of course 
yeah. uh, that that that's been the first blip I've ever had. But I, you know, for me, the transition's been great. Not everybody can go into broadcasting for whatever reason. It worked for me, and I love it. It's it's great. It's the sports given me so much. I'm glad to stay in it. Um, you know, the toughest. And then I recently took another transition, or uh, you know, kind of leap in, into to, to commercial title real estate, uh, selling commercial title and. This has been my first avenue outside of the sport of hockey. And guys say, well, did you go to college? You do this? No, but they mentioned, you know, relationships, the ability to speak. To the, there's so many other things you learn along the way that can help. And I try to tell guys that it may, the path may come, but don't, don't just expect to do nothing. You've got you've to be able to eventually transition into some part of, you know, life where, where you're involved and it can't just be giving back to the sport. And a lot of guys struggle with it. It really do. They're, they more than, you know, would be in certainly the public would know. And I think uh, certainly the NHL players association has done a real good job. They, you know, I think drug and alcohol recovery and uh, guys with finances and all that become an issue in every sport. It is, you always hear of guys with all this money and then it's gone. It's yeah. There, there's, there's things to learn, and I think it's important to continue to educate the guys that are in the game to think a little more forward than we did. That okay, yeah, and you see that now, especially as you mentioned, social media guys are branding themselves earlier. They're, they're setting up whether it's clothing lines or this. Or Tyler Sagan, who I played with, he's got dog toys. He's got a clothing line. He's got, you know, and it, and it's good to see these guys doing that if that's their passion. Yeah, do a lot of guys do like uh, college though. Like, well, more and more guys. Yeah, a lot of guys come out of college and whether they go play the whole well, time. I mean, if they didn't, sorry, if they didn't come out of college into the NHL, are guys doing like degree there, there's that completion too. Yep. and yep. stuff? There are guys doing that. They do a good job of setting up that up. Uh, again, the Players Association is really in the last, you know, a guy named Glenn Healy took over and he's done a great job. I think the last three, four years of really building it up and giving opportunities for guys. They constantly have, you know, seminars to go on to look at different opportunities you can take, different avenues, not only that, but for for players' wives too. Mm. Because I think, you know, when guys get out of the game, I I wanna say the divorce rate's like above 70%. Like- They don't know what to do with themselves. They don't know what to do with themselves. You you don't, you're used to being, and and you'll hear this constantly. And I, I just asked Derek England because we were giving a speech to a group of, you know, young players about enjoying being with the, you know, your team, your guys. And because I said, Derek, uh, you know, you've been out of the game a year. Do you miss the game? No. What do you miss? The guys. That's what you miss. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's certain, you know, that tells me, first of all, I was like that too. When I left, I, you know, every now and then I'll get an itch to go back out there, but then I see how fast they're playing. And I'm like, Ooh, maybe not. Uh, but, but you miss the guys. You miss that day in, day out locker room the you know the chirping back and forth uh, you know just that the road trips the good time that's what guys miss and that's gone when you're out of the game yeah when you look at a guy like uh chara to go back to him yes you guys are i looked it up you're like a year and a half apart can you can you think about being like can you even put yourself in a mindset of you're still playing today at that level how does he do it he has, and I've tried to explain this, you know, poetically, and I can't because I don't have that ability. But he has this determination and commitment to excellence, unlike anybody else. And it's, 
you know, a lot of people, it can be flappable. They can be straight this way or that. He doesn't. He It's straightforward. And, you know, I played with him twice. I played with him in Ottawa and Boston. So, and I remember in Ottawa, this guy, he, on a, I don't even think he owned a TV. He actually got a, I believe he got a financial degree while he was, I remember him traveling and sitting in the back, we're playing games or watching movies or cards. He's studying. Hmm. So he has a discipline that's unlike anything I've seen for, for all aspects. It, it, I, that's the best word. He has a discipline that is just unmatched to, to be better at whatever he puts his mind to. And he's constantly trying to be better. Yeah. And, you know, in Ottawa, that, that's, uh, I remember that sticking out to me. And, and he was an okay player there. He made him like, after practice, he shot 100 pucks every day after practice. He was in the gym. Like, not only is he 6'9", the biggest D-man, but he's like 265 pounds of granite. Like, there, there's not anything there. And he has changed that. And that's the other thing. He's been able to evolve as he's gone. And, you know, I remember talking to him. He changed his diet. And I... It's like a, you need a science degree to figure out what he's doing, but it's a way, like, I think he even got off meat. And, you know, the great, you know, great stories of young Char, his mindset. So his dad was a Greco-Roman wrestler in Slovakia. And he used to train, you know, he, I think he still may go back and train. Like his dad trained all these guys eventually. And they used to climb ropes with their hands behind their head. His dad could do it, which I can't even, like, my shoulders would pop right now thinking about it. Yeah. And I remember him saying he had a, Growing up, there was a tree, and his dad said, you can't leave the yard when he'd walk to school or any time he'd go to do anything. Every time he walked, you can't pass out of the yard unless you do 10 pull-ups on that tree branch. And that's So he kind of grew up with that mindset, which is pretty incredible to think. So it was instilled early in his career, and he's carried it through, and that's, that's why I'm, what am I, 45? He's going to be 45. He's, he hasn't signed yet, but I, I'm, I would not be surprised to see him play again. This yeah. season, because a lot of people talk. Well, I mean, you know, being from New England, yeah, uh, people talk all the time about Tom Brady's never going to stop. I mean, yeah. you can't talk about one without and they're the close. other. They're close, and they're friends. And I think, I think they're and knowing like share notes on yeah. how to live. Forever. And I knowing Big Z, and I think you know Tom Brady would be the same way. I think there there's like almost a competition between the two of them to see who can go longer. Obviously, Brady's had a lot more success, but yeah. The longevity of both those athletes and i think they're they're they you don't play that long unless you're ultra competitive and i wouldn't you know i know they're close and they uh but i think they're there may be a little i know chara for sure will be saying oh, i want to play longer than him yeah <laughs> we'll see we'll see what happens so getting into broadcasting you assume that this is like one of the you know career tracks that a lot of athletes yeah. get into just because it's the one that you see the most Right, because you're still watching yeah. Terry Bradshaw and NFL or, or whatever. You just you know know a lot of athletes go, and it helps to have a guy who played the sport along with having a good relationship with your play-by-play, like you and Dave. Yeah. How did you know that you had an aptitude for this? Well, they, you know, and it's all pretty much just thrown into the fire and go. They handed me a mic and said, "Okay," and I started on radio for two years. And it went, I think radio is a great kind of platform to, to be at, whether that's where you stay or you move on. And I love doing radio. You, you've got to be more descriptive. Obviously, people can't see what's happening, so you've got to explain it. And you mentioned, guys, not everybody can do broadcasting. You know, the majority of guys will go into scouting, coaching, that type of thing. That's an easier transition, I think, to, than to go in. 
because guys can think it, but to be actually on mic or on camera and, and spit it out. And hockey's the fastest sport. You think of baseball or football as an analyst, you've got time. There's whistles, there's this to talk. Hockey, it is moving. You've got maybe three to five seconds to get a comment in, get out, yeah. and, and not break the play. And so to go back to how I knew, I didn't. I loved doing radio. And then one time we were, I was covering the Winnipeg Jets, uh, which is my home province. That's where I started. And a guy couldn't make the game for TV, so they threw me between the glass. And for whatever reason, it was a home run for me. And, and not only that, I remember when, that was the first time since I'd been out of the game. I went home to my wife and said, now I know what I want to do. Really? And it was broadcast games on TV and haven't looked back since. A couple of minutes ago, you said that it was more about missing the guys yeah. than missing the game. But what was it about? Was it just like the the thrill of maybe kind of still being part of the game and, and kind of like bringing that to the audience and yeah. like expressing your knowledge of it? Uh, yeah, I think, it. you know, if I'm not going to play, I, I'm still in the game and I wasn't the fastest, the toughest, uh, the strongest, the most skilled by any means, but I could think the game. And I think that's something that had really helped me going into this. I want to show people, you know, I realized it's a production. When I got to good, like radio, you're just calling, you got nothing. When you get to TV, so all of a sudden I'm hooked up, I'm talking to the producer in our you know, TV truck, or the director, I'm able to pick, okay, that goal just happened. I, I marked clips before what happened because of what happened, you know, 10, 15 seconds earlier, this play this guy made. Mm. So I can mark, you know, I get to direct and show people, okay, it's not just a goal. It was something that happened before. And to me, that's bringing what I loved about the sport, the ability to think the game and, and to share share my sport with people, the fans. And yeah, it really became a passion. And, and you said, missed the guys, but I also still got to stay in that routine. That That's guys are, you know, we're creatures of habit and the habit was routine travel this that game it's all it's why the transition was easy for me is kind of like i never left the toughest year i had was uh, covid because that's the only time in my life since i was so 30 years since i left home at 15 to 45 that i haven't traveled you started broadcasting in winnipeg so correct me if i'm wrong but the jets went to phoenix like 96 years ago 96. and then they started back up they expanded like a new Jets or? The Atlanta Thrashers, oh, yeah, who Thrashers. I played for, yeah. came to Winnipeg in 2011, right after I was with the Bruins for the Stanley Cup. Okay, right? cool. So it was uh, kind of, it was time for me to step out. So it all worked together. My home province, I was thinking of playing again a year, but I got offered the opportunity to, to have something and I jumped at it because I'm like, well, one more year of hockey, this opportunity won't be there in a year. Yeah. And it was time. Oh, so that played into the decision too? That played in the decision. It's like, and when that and uh, I just come off shoulder surgery and uh, massive shoulder, shoulder surgery. So, uh, you know, rotator cuff isn't uh, something that you really want to happen. And I remember the doctors said when I came back, they said, one thing, you, you cannot fight whatsoever. Yeah. And of course, that, that's hard. Like I said, that's hard to predict. I think it was against Montreal in the playoffs. That was my last fight. I fought anyways. Hmm. Didn't feel good. Didn't do well, but it was good to know. If you're a, you're like a veteran player and you've fought before, and but you have something like that, and you're just like, hey, I can't. Yeah, are, you can. Are, you can are the guys on the other team like they they're gonna like honor that? 
They would. Yeah. Yeah, I think for the most part. I don't know about now. I haven't been out, and I don't know. Some guy may take advantage of it. Um, but when I played, most guys would respect that. And, yeah. And so you're so, at the point where, like, you you know, yeah. you put in your time. Say, I can't, man. My shoulder's done, or my hand. Like a lot of guys, their hand would be done. Or, yeah. You know, and sometimes it would work. Sometimes it wouldn't. It's no guarantee. You ever talk to guys that they come to the end of their career and they just don't have an idea of what to do next? Yep. How often do you guys talk about this stuff? Well, more now because, you know, now that I've been out this long and I'm in Vegas and we're going to start to see guys come out of here. You know, a guy like I mentioned Derek England earlier who was, you know, played a long time, similar player as I was coming out of the game and, you know, he's been lucky. He's come on and he got a job with the Golden Knights working in the foundation and doing stuff around town. Um, and that's why I was waiting for him because I want to start an alumni here for guys that come out to help them because you do here. You know, a lot of times they'll get guys, is there a scouting job in Vegas? They're just looking for anything only hockey related. And, you know, the fortunate thing is now guys make a lot more money than what I did. So they have a little bit of a cushion to figure it out. Whereas I probably heard it more when I first got into broadcasting, like, how'd you do that? Where can you, you know, I'm like, well, you know, for me, I was very fortunate. It worked out and it's not for everybody. I've had guys come in and try broadcasting. I brought in a good friend to try and get a panel job. He's like, I need something. And he's, I know he's coaching, you know, youth hockey, tried to get him on TV. He came and it was straight deer in headlights. It broke my heart yeah. to tell this guy, cause he's a really close friend. I would have loved having him here and whatever. We're talking, oh, it'd be great. Come out. And he, you talk to him like you and I are, guy, personality off the charts, easy to talk, put him on camera. And it's not like he doesn't know the game. And that's where I say it's not for everyone. And that's happened a few times, you know, me trying to bring in some guys to give them a chance. And if you can't do it, you can't do it. How many guys choose something that's completely separate from the game? Because you talk about people working in the organization yeah. or in coaching or broadcasting or, you know, even like back office stuff that you don't even see just somebody within the the business of hockey, the organization, or people go become agents for other guys. Guys be agents. There's guys you see guys that become real estate brokers. Guys that be, oh, yeah. there there's guys that can do a lot. Some have become lawyers. Um, trying to think, you know, my good friend Sean Thornton. He didn't he didn't go the hockey side. He went on to the you know. Uh, the other side, like vice president of running, like sponsorship and sales and all that, which for the Florida Panthers. So, uh, you know, a huge learning curve where, you know, he's like kind of what I'm having to do with title now. He he learned a long time ago, like putting spreadsheets together. Like you tell that to a hockey player, like, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. But it's good. And I think it's important for guys to understand that you know, even if you didn't learn this now, you, your life isn't over. You still can learn it. Got you, you've learned a lot of skills that are so valuable out there to help you. You know, the work ethics, number one. I think, you know, that's something that's instilled. You don't become a pro athlete without that. Um, so it, it, it's telling guys, that, you know, let, let's find something that fits you. And, uh, you know, certainly I've had to talk to a few guys. And like I said, they always want me to bring them in, I can, you can only do so much, but you try to help them as you can. And that's why really looking forward to starting an alumni here that we can help guys with transition out of the sport. Yeah. How much is breaking through your identity as I am like, I'm a hockey player. It's what I was put on this yeah. earth to do because we talk a lot about identity. Cause from the time I was 18, my, yeah. you know, sole purpose was like to go 
fight and win battles in the war, you know, and, uh, and, and a lot of people, when they're done with that, they're like, well, I don't know how to be anything else. Yep. But you guys, like you start when you're five years old, <laughs> like it's, it's a, it's hard. It's a bigger portion of your life. It really is. That's what you've been doing. And that's been your dream. You know, it's a dream for every Canadian five to 10 years old right now. They're all, but not everybody lives it. You know, a lot of chances they're done. And for us, you know, you do it from, you know, I did it, started skating when I was like four or five and played till I was 35. It's tough to get out. And it's, you know, I think it's hard for me to compare to other guys because I stayed in the game. Yeah. Which I feel very, very lucky because there's a sense I'm still tied to the hockey world. I'm always, and I mentioned you miss the guys, but still seeing tons of former players that are coaching, scouting constantly, wherever I go. And that really helps it. But for guys, it is hard. That identity, you relate to that being a hockey player and living. The biggest thing is living that world. Like the schedule is set. You've That's all you've known is that, okay, camp starts in September. You know, season starts in October. They give us the schedule. We're traveling here. You set your whole schedule up. All right, the end of the season's mid-April. So April comes. You want to get the playoffs. Then the goal is the Stanley Cup. As I said, now that I'm back to life, uh, yeah, the Stanley Cup's the goal. Playoffs, that doesn't happen. You know, you're down. Didn't accomplish the goal. Whenever that is, take some time off. You go with the boys at the end of the year. Then you head back to your summer home. Start training three weeks later. You train. Then you come back rinse repeat rinse repeat that's all you know and then now all of a sudden you don't win you don't get a contract or you retire it's like okay what am i going to do today tomorrow this day that day it's it's not easy and the the closest i experienced to it was when i got injured in that arizona camp and i didn't join the bruins till february so i was at home doing nothing october november december january i was rehabbing but I remember there, my wife finally, I multiple times just called my friend, take him, go do something. <laughs> just take him. Get him out of my house. Get site. him out of my house. Like, cause you, you, you are, you're, you become miserable. And guy, and I think now it's getting recognized a lot better and guys are getting more prepared, which is very important for that transition after. And it's, it's, it's always, there's, it's always going to be hard because like you said, the, that identity, that's what you relate to. That's all you've known. Yeah. And, you know, there's certainly there's, you know, there are guys that have other passions or, and they know earlier than others, but it's not the case with everyone. What was it like bringing the sport of hockey to Las Vegas? I think that's been one of the, you know, year by year, it becomes more gratifying to me because it was one of the attractions. You know, I was set. I didn't need to move. I was doing great. But first of all, I wanted to play, be somewhere warm. Uh, it's not, not very warm in Manitoba, um, but the attraction, not only to call games here, but to, to come to a market and grow the sport that had given me my life and to see how hockey is taken off here. First of all, we needed more rinks while well, we built, they've built in four more ice sheets in four years. We've, I think the learn to skate program went from 200 in year one to over a thousand now, uh, youth hockey development. Uh, you know, I've been involved. We brought the. We had the first high school hockey team here from where my, my son goes to school. We started three years ago and it was okay, but recently I kind of took over. They asked me to step in and revamp the whole program. So, cause I want to see high school hockey grow here in, in the state of Nevada. We still have to play at a California league, but we've revamped the program and it's been great. Um, 
so yeah, it's not only seeing it, but being hands-on with uh, the growth of the sport of hockey and, and what people never thought Vegas wouldn't be a hockey town. Well, it is. It's becoming a sports town now with the Raiders here. Uh, and not only hockey, the, so the Golden Knights, now you got to remember their affiliate, the Henderson Silver Knights, that arena is going to be done in April. So they've got two pro franchises playing here in the sport of hockey uh, and constant rumors. It just, it's, it's been incredible. I, it's, I always knew it would succeed, but not in my wildest imaginations to this level of success, what I think hockey would have in the Golden Knights, the impact they'd have on the city. What's it like being able to work with guys like uh, Dave and Gary? <laughs> oh. You're a, you're a little uh, triumvirate. Yeah, we're it, you know we're, we I knew Gary before because we worked together in Winnipeg, yeah. um, and Dave I knew because I played, but not to the level I did. But become you know best friends. It's become those have become that's become my brotherhood now. Yeah, we're very close. Uh, we rip on each other just like brothers would constantly make fun of each other and and we have a ton of fun i think anything you do in life you got to be with people you not only well first of all you have fun with but you got to respect them and we do we respect each other we enjoy what we do and we have a we have a ton of fun we really do we travel together we even travel when we're not supposed to together um which makes it even better is there any kind <laughs> of uh connection between being a being a d-man playing in a pairing having that chemistry with uh, you know, not to make a stretch, but like yeah. you and Dave now, you got a play-by-play and a color guy. Like what kind of stuff do you guys talk about together about working yeah. as a pair? And then like what parts of your game do you work on now? I think I'm constantly, you know, because the game's evolved. I think like, you know, bringing analytics into the game is, you know, I got to kind of wipe my traditional thoughts off on that. And I think it's a useful tool. And I think the big thing I'm constantly is not only staying up with, you know, new players in the league, new trends, but but how games are called and, you know, trying to give the viewers more data. Like, even though I may not like seeing, you know, how far a player skated or how hard this or that, you know, we're getting more things that we want to implement into the broadcast that maybe we can get new fans because of it. So that's important on that. To the chemistry part, it's interesting. You said, I think it's important in anything, player, you know, in life whatever when i had a d partner you get to a point where you don't need to talk about it because you you just read react off each other and i think dave and i uh, we and he tells us or i've told it when we do speaking i never forget we called the very first preseason game in vancouver and we're like you know we talked that year first of all our talks were like okay it's going to be a long year we may have to talk about this and that you know it's a it's a new team they're not going to win many games it's going to be some long nights you know they might be down we'll talk about the other team we'll talk about stars maybe introduce some hockey things and well that never happened but uh so you know we and we talked about all this and i remember the first preseason let's we're like let's see how this goes because biggest thing is timing reading off for me when to jump in the plays this or that i remember after the game we just looked at each other and said well, this works. It, it was instantaneous. The chemistry we had, the ability to read off each other. And uh, yeah, so we don't really need to talk about much. Our timing, we, we, we know each other really well when we get on broadcast. And, and uh, you know, there's certain things, but we have a ton of fun. Our blooper reel, well, it's not even a blooper reel. Our rehearsal reel is, we, we have a belief that if we don't screw up, then we won't be good live. So it's there's always... A, a ton of shit that goes on there that's just goofy and dumb and us being idiots and uh it's fun but that's that's what keeps it loose and that's kind of that's kind of our pregame routine is to, is to be kind of a bit idiots on air during our rehearsal so we're good when it comes live 
It's uh, it's interesting hanging out with a guy like Dave because just being a career broadcaster, I think he's he's never without something to say, but he's always like <laughs> eloquent and can just like string together a They're thought. They're all yeah. I mean, we were playing in the charity game last year, and I came and sat on the bench and turned around. I go. You know, hey Dave, what do you think about this period so far? He goes, oh well, you know, you got to get the puck in deep, and then yeah, right, yeah. It's like just (laughs) immediately just had something to say about it. I've worked with play-by-play guys now, and I can't do what they do. They, 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 you know, but they actually went to school for it. I didn't. I just played the sport. Yeah. You know, it's a different different avenue, but yeah, they're they're always quick-witted too. For the ones I've been around, uh, the play-by-play broadcasters, they uh, they got good sense of humor. Dave's got a real good sense of humor, and. yeah, they're a lot of fun. They're quick-witted. They, they, they always, you said, I think the biggest thing is they always got something to say. Yeah. That, always. Sometimes I get caught on the, you know, doing a podcast like a hobby. It's, couldn't be further from a profession yeah. for me. And sometimes I just, uh, there have been times recording an episode where I have to like edit it out later where I'm listening to someone tell their story. And, and I just, I, I go from interviewer to viewer. Yeah. And I'm just saying, listening, like, oh, okay, wow. <laughs> That's great. Well, then what? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, oh shit! I'm supposed to keep asking. Okay, questions. Keep asking questions. Yeah. Well, it's, that's it's usually the best. Those when you just you're just going. That's that's part of it. So you're coaching now here too. Coaching just my kids' team. Just I'm helping out. Team. I'm not real. I got coaches, but I just go out for practice. Okay. I like to I like to stay behind the scenes. Yeah. I you know my kids on the team. I I can't be there yelling at them, which I like. I'd rather do that at home. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. Nah. Um, I don't know if people, I get asked about getting into coaching a lot, even at the NHL level. And you know what, there, there's a, there's a rush to it. There's the adrenaline, but there's also, you know, it's like anything, the wins and losses. You ride, I used to ride them so high, the wins and the losses so low. And I always say I rolled that roller coaster for a long time. I'm happy to be the broadcaster, the guy that just sits right in the middle, nice, steady, cruise i don't need to worry if if they lose or they win or whatever i just in the middle i don't need to have that that ride that those waves i rode so uh but yeah you you never know i never know where it'll go how often do you get on the ice not as much well i'm three times a week for for the kids practice yeah i play i you know if i can charity games yeah uh i did one my first one, and I think since I skated with you last year at the, co- the Coast to Coast one, I skated for, uh, we did one for uh, the officer who was shot here, Shea. Yeah. Uh, play for Shea. Did that uh, last week. But that was a little, I, I prefer your, that one they brought in all the like Division One college kids that thought it was a tryout. And it was, I'm like, let's, ooh. And I, I, the good thing is I played forward. I just went, uh, Derek England was the captain of the other team. I was the guy, I just said, I want the two fastest guys with the most energy here. Come on, you're on my line. And uh, I'm like, yeah, it was. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't play in many games. I'll do charity games, and that's about all. We ask this question of uh, everybody who comes on, so it's going to be a little different for use. But I usually ask the guest, who are you today if you never served? So maybe I can modify it a little and say, who are you today without the game of hockey? That's I can see either way. I don't even know how you answer. I think hockey molded me, made me who I am today. If it, who am I today without hockey? I'm probably working for the town in Nipah, Manitoba, cutting grass at the golf course. It, it really, I don't, you know, hockey has been my 
that's been my goal since the beginning. I, you know, I never looked, you know, I went to school just to get it done, but it was my, it, it's hard to think. I, I, I have never been asked that. It, it really is, it is the base of everything I am today. And, and not only just for the sport, but for what it taught me. I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, I wouldn't have got to this level of success, you know, my ability not only to to broadcast, but to be with people and all that without, you know, all the people and all the guys that challenged me, all the people that, you know, all the people that doubted me, uh, that pushed me, motivated me. Uh, that's That's what's made me. And that's what hockey did. That's a good enough answer for you. I don't know. Yeah, everyone. Well, it's it's funny because I similar with the guy. I'm sure we. Uh, well, most people have just never paid it any thought. I mean, no, that's a really good question. We also talk about movies a lot, so just uh, to to end after that yeah. on a lighter note, best hockey movies. Slab shot, without question, number one. What's another good hockey movie? Young Blood. Well, Young Blood. Uh, I'll say miracle for all Americans, uh, just because I'm Canadian. But I always said my my joke is here, and I don't get mad, listeners, because I know the majority are here. But if Canada made a movie like Miracle, it'd have to be like a it'd be like a three season series set. Like it, it's it's Canada wins all the time, you know. You had one, anyways. That's my joke with Dave too. He doesn't like it. Uh, but yeah, Miracle's a good movie. My my son likes that one. But Slapshot would be number one. Young Blood would be number two. Oh yeah, I don't ask me about the Mighty Ducks movies. I can't stand them. <laughs> no. Can't stand them because God, that's not hockey to me. No, that'd be like you guys watching a military movie that's just crazy far fetched. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's a <clears throat> too hokey. Yeah. yeah, yeah, too much for me. Well, thanks for coming over yeah. and uh, and doing this, man. Oh, anytime. I'm glad we could work this out. Thanks for having me. I hope uh, I, I got a. I don't know if I can match up to your other guests, but I'm glad you had me on. Yeah, no, it's great. It's going to be like a different kind of episode, yeah. but still kind of on the same. Because we, we're talking about it for the same reason that we talk to the other guests. Like, the, you know, our guests have one thing in common is that they uh, joined, you know, that they served yeah. at some point. But the thing they really have in common is that they've all gone through like a pretty significant life transition at kind of some point in yeah. adulthood which is really what we're talking about you know yeah and, it, and really it's a massive it is it is harder than people think it really is and you know going through this i've you know i thought back to you know the first part is when i mentioned i had that little when i was injured rehabbing to, to start thinking about it and, and i think that helped me because i did think oh what about you know i'd done some radio before like i used to enjoy going on shows and doing this and that and it's always good speaker and so that came into my head and then I was like, oh, I was going to open a CrossFit gym. I was going to, do... but you start thinking, and I think that's important for people to start, start that thought early, even though at the same time I said, you don't want to do it because that you don't want that to affect your ability of what you're doing at that moment. Yeah. When I'm throwing my body armor on and yeah. walking out, yeah, to you don't want to start thinking, yeah, I'm not thinking about, you know, what yeah. job I'm going to have in five years. Exactly. That's, it doesn't help. It doesn't. And it, it doesn't help like in the moment, it, but it, you need to think about it at some point. You do, yeah. and it's, it's 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 a tough one, but it's yeah. And maybe in the, see, we got the off season. That's when guys need to start, and I think they do a good job because they hold player meetings in the summer with the association, and I think that's where they really start to introduce it to these guys. So, you know, here's your options. Yeah, if you come out. 
Oh, one last. Uh, what's your What's your last name like background? Nighty is Ukrainian. Yeah. Uh, so both. Yeah. So I'm I'm 100% Ukrainian. My really? my dad's side, my mom's side, Stavekny. Uh, uh, my great grandparents all came from the Ukraine. Uh, Are there over. a lot of uh, Ukrainians? Out yes, a lot of Ukrainians from? in Canada came over for the farmland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. real big, uh, real big around where I'm from. Little, there's a couple towns uh, close by. It's full like Dauphin. They have the big Ukrainian festival there in Dauphin, Manitoba, which is about an hour away from my hometown. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's what's a uh, all-time mispronunciation of your name uh, by someone uh it's been mispronounced since i've been young it's i i think the, the one that i from everything from heidi hindi needy uh, uh yeah hinidi uh yeah, everybody just uh, the h the the so it's h-n-i-d-y but the i and n always get switched a great story about a young so when i used to when i played minor hockey and i got my probably my outspoken uh way from my mother uh, and I felt bad and if they mispronounced my name because I used to score goals when I was young and when I played minor hockey a lot and you know you always got some kid who was probably 13 to 15 years old working the timekeeper's box not <laughs> making any money and you know announcing names yeah. and uh, it was either it was either from across the ring it's 90 or I would see my mom when I'm playing a game, walk out of the stands around to the timekeeper's bench to, to, to tell this poor kid who's probably scared shitless how to say my game. I might have been 11 or 12 at the time, how to pronounce his last name when he scores a goal. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, been, it's been butchered for a while. Yeah, well, that's what moms are for. That's what they're for. <laughs> All right. Awesome, man. All right, man. Oh, good chat. That's great. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Thank You Now What, a podcast about life after service. Be on the lookout for Shane growing the sport of hockey out there in Vegas and catch him on a broadcast if you're able. As always, thanks for listening to us. Please subscribe, rate, review, follow, and join us next time on Thank You Now What.